Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and today I am here to share another solved murder case with you all. But before we get into today's case, I unfortunately have some sad news and an update to share on a case that I covered for Missing Mondays back in November. On May 24th, human remains were found in the Granger, Washington area, and they have now since been positively identified as missing 24-year-old Jennifer Caridad of Sunnyside, Washington. Jennifer had been missing for nearly a year, and her manner of death has been ruled as a homicide, and the cause of death is pending the final findings of the forensic anthropologist. A farmer had found Jennifer's skull, and he called it in. At this time, they do not know where exactly her body had been dumped, and they hope to go out and find more of her remains. Please keep Jennifer's family and loved ones in your thoughts and prayers, and I will also have the link to her episode listed in the description of this episode in case you wanted to hear all of the details surrounding her disappearance. So without further ado, let's get into today's case, which is on the murder of Kelly Bordeaux. Kelly Marie Bordeaux was born on December 27, 1988. Growing up with her two older siblings in St. Cloud, Florida, Kelly was always well protected. Her older brother and sister always made sure that she was well taken care of and nobody bothered their baby sister. Kelly was very outgoing and a super sociable girl. She was a popular cheerleader in high school and people just flocked to her and really enjoyed her company. With beautiful blonde hair and a smile that radiated, it was no surprise that as she got older, she also attracted a lot of male attention. But despite standing at only five foot one with a petite frame, Kelly was known to be extremely tough, independent, and feisty to boot. So when she told her family that she wanted to join the army and travel the world, it didn't really come to a surprise to any of them. It seemed as if this was the perfect fit for Kelly and almost like it was a calling. In June of 2010, Kelly got married to a man named Mike Bordeaux and a year later in July of 2011, Kelly left for army basic training. After graduating basic training, she went on to her schooling to become an army combat medic, and she was finally assigned to her very first base at Fort Bragg in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Once she got assigned to her duty station, her husband Mike, who she had been married to at that point for almost two years, was able to join her in North Carolina, and the two of them settled down into an off-base apartment together. Being a young couple, they did have bumps in their relationship like most people do. But the move and the big life changes of Kelly joining the military seemed to add a lot of extra stress to their marriage. Mike was struggling to find work in North Carolina and being a military spouse myself, I know how hard it can be to find work when you're the spouse of a service member. This is something that weighed heavy on Mike, and he increasingly became more and more dependent on alcohol, which just further caused more strain in their already bumpy relationship. 
Kelly got sick of the heavy drinking and she told Mike that she thought that he should go back to Florida for some time to just kind of give them a break and some time apart from each other. Mike was under the impression that this was going to be just kind of like a trial separation just to give themselves some space, but things would level out soon and then he would be back in Fayetteville. But Kelly was hiding a secret. For about a year, Kelly had been having an affair with a man named Justin Thompson, and this was someone that she had met before she even left for basic training, and he was from her hometown of St. Cloud. Kelly's family was also aware of this relationship, and they knew how much Kelly really liked Justin. According to her sister Olivia, Kelly was ready to move on from her marriage and had planned to officially divorce Mike and then have Justin move to North Carolina with her so that they could be together and see where their relationship would take them. After Mike left North Carolina, Justin would come up and spend weekends together with Kelly and things seemed to be going really well. On his visits, the two of them would do things that every couple would do. They'd go out on dates, they'd go to evenings out at the bar, and it was on one of these weekend visits that Kelly met another man while out at the bar called Froggy Bottoms. Nicholas Holbert worked at Froggy Bottoms, and he approached Kelly and Justin to talk to them one evening when they were in the bar. It was very apparent that Nick was extremely interested in Kelly, despite Kelly clearly being at the bar with her boyfriend. Nick gave Kelly his phone number, and he said if they needed anything to give him a call, and he just like tried super hard to befriend Kelly, and Kelly was just nice, very outgoing, and was literally friends with everyone. So to Kelly, Nick was just this nice guy and someone that she could hang out with as friends and just drink together. But to her boyfriend Justin, this dude was a creep and something just didn't sit well with the fact that this guy would approach them when they were clearly a couple and he was clearly interested in Kelly. Before Justin left back to Florida, Nick had offered to take Kelly back to Froggy Bottoms the following week to hang out and have drinks. And Kelly accepted, but again, to her, this was someone that she could just be friends with and hang out with since she was new to the area and really didn't know a lot of people. Friday, April 14th, 2012, with Justin back in Florida, Kelly prepared to head back to Froggy Bottoms with Nick. Nick was going to be her ride to and from the bar and that way she didn't have to worry about how much she was drinking and she could just let loose after a long week of work at Fort Bragg. Prior to leaving her apartment, Kelly sent a picture over to her sister Olivia to ask how her outfit looked and to see if she looked cute. Kelly's boyfriend Justin even told Crime Watch Daily that he also texted her and told her she better bring her pepper spray because Nick was creepy. And she told him she would be fine. After getting her sister's approval, she headed off for what would be her last night out. While at Froggy Bottoms, Kelly enjoyed her night drinking, playing pool, and singing some karaoke. But according to private investigator David Marshburn, while there, Kelly really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to Nick. She was there for a good time, so she sang, she flirted with some people, and she just enjoyed mingling with other people. 
And while she saw this as just a friendly outing, Nick saw it as something more. Sometime after midnight, Nick and Kelly left Froggy Bottoms and he said he dropped her back off near her apartment. Kelly wasn't drunk and it was found later that her bar tab was actually fairly low that night and so she wouldn't have been disoriented at all. After arriving back at her apartment, Justin received a text message from Kelly's phone that had read, quote, got home safe, I'm going to bed, call me tomorrow. This text made Justin uneasy because it wasn't really how she typically wrote her text messages. And on top of that, prior to this text coming in to Justin, he had received multiple text messages from Kelly that told him, call me, call me, call me. Something felt off and Justin spent the remaining of the weekend trying to get in touch with Kelly only to have all of his calls and text messages go unanswered. It was Justin who contacted Kelly's family to tell them that something wasn't right and that something had to have happened. Come Monday morning, Kelly did not report to work on Fort Bragg, and after having friends stop at the apartment to see if she was home and no answer, the panic set in for Kelly's superiors. This was absolutely not like Kelly. Kelly was a hardworking and dedicated soldier. She was driven in her work life, and she always was prompt and on time to work. This was, for sure, in their minds, a soldier who would never go AWOL. On that Monday, April 16, 2012, Kelly is officially reported missing. The search began instantly, and authorities really didn't brush this off as nothing, which is so nice to see in these cases because, as we know from the bajillion other cases that I've covered, adults a lot of times get brushed off, and we've seen it in other cases with military members. They're automatically assumed to be AWOL. The media also really jumped on this story and allowed her family to come on and plead for Kelly's return. The amount of people that came out to begin searching land for Kelly was impressive. They had helicopters, four-wheelers, people on horseback, and even boats in the water. They had asked for volunteers to come out searching for Kelly, and they had around 500 people show up for this young soldier. Kelly's husband, Mike, also made the trip to North Carolina to assist in the search, as well as her new friend, Nick Holbert. Authorities were working behind the scenes to try and figure out everyone who was closest to Kelly. They narrowed down their suspect pool to three individuals, Kelly's estranged husband, Mike, the new boyfriend, Justin, and of course, the last person to have seen her, Nicholas Holbert. As the days went on and no sign of Kelly, people within the community really started to speculate on what happened to her. And most of them were turning their eyes to Kelly's estranged husband, Mike. Often we see in these cases, the husband is the one who does something to the wife. And given the fact that Kelly had recently asked for a separation from him, maybe he was angry. Kelly also had that longtime affair with her boyfriend, Justin, who she intended to have moved to North Carolina as soon as she was officially divorced. The police also were suspicious of Mike and felt that it was odd that he rushed up from Florida to North Carolina to help instantly search for Kelly. And honestly, I'm not 
not sure if I would think that was suspicious. To me, that just seems like a concerned husband, and he clearly wasn't ready to let go of their marriage. I just feel like if I was able to go and search for even just a friend of mine who had gone missing, I would be there ASAP to help. So I'm not sure exactly what was odd to people that he showed up, but for whatever reason, they had their sights set on him. And it was reported that he was acting like you would expect a husband to act if his wife was missing. He was said to be emotional, he was distraught, and just overall very upset about her disappearance. Mike was able to provide police with a solid alibi that he was home in St. Cloud, Florida, which was hundreds of miles away from Fayetteville. But despite this, people were still suspicious of him and believed that he could have driven to Fayetteville and did something to Kelly and then drove back. Though the drive was over six hours one direction, people believed that because Kelly was last seen on that Friday night, he could have been lying in wait in her apartment and then made it back to Florida before she was ever discovered and officially reported missing on that Monday. For Mike, he had his own suspicions on who could have done something to Kelly. Through Kelly going missing and the investigation beginning, that is how Mike learned about Kelly's longtime affair with Justin, and that put Justin at the top of Mike's list. He knew nothing about Justin other than his wife was having this secret affair with him, but he was suspicious of him and the police started to get suspicious too. Police began speculating that perhaps Justin had gotten upset over Kelly going out drinking with another man on that Friday night. The police also questioned Justin as to why he wasn't the one to notify police about Kelly being missing until three days later. Justin denied that and he said that he had actually called the police the day after and that nobody would listen to him or take him seriously. Justin called the police the first time on Saturday, and then he called back again on Sunday. And finally, Monday is when other people got involved and also started calling to report her as missing. And to Justin, it was clear as day that it was Nick Holbert who had to have done something to his girlfriend. Justin also had an alibi putting him in St. Cloud, Florida when Kelly went missing. So that left Nick Holbert. But authorities weren't really sure if Nick was their guy either. He had claimed that everything went well when the two of them hung out and that he had dropped Kelly back off near her apartment. Authorities thought that that text that Justin received from Kelly's phone supported the story that she made it home safely, but Justin wasn't buying it and suspected Nick from the start. He wasn't alone in those feelings either. During one of the news interviews that Nick had done, that private investigator David Marshburn that I mentioned earlier saw that interview and he instantly knew this guy was lying and that he knew exactly what had happened to Kelly. After watching the news interview, David told his wife that he wanted to get involved and he wanted to help find Kelly. David took it upon himself to get involved in the search for Kelly, and he quickly learned that Nicholas Holbert was a homeless drifter that was living in his truck and had set up a camp behind the Froggy Bottoms where he worked. David and authorities also learned that Nick was a sex offender. 
when Nick was 16 years old, he had molested and beaten a five-year-old girl. Now, according to David Marshburn, there are rumors that this little girl is now handicapped and in a wheelchair. I tried to find a news article on that specific detail, and I was not able to locate anything solid on that, but that is just what was reported in an interview by David. Unfortunately, even though Nick was a known predator, there was zero evidence linking him to Kelly's disappearance. But he was arrested anyway because he had failed to register as a sex offender in Fayetteville and he was put behind bars for a year. David was so certain that Nick had done something to Kelly that while Nick was behind bars, he dedicated as much time as possible to search for Kelly and any clues to link Nick to her disappearance. He tracked down any locations that he knew that Nick was known to visit or places near where he had previously stayed and he searched top to bottom. Hours upon hours were dedicated to looking for Kelly, but there was no sign of her. After hitting a dead end, David began forming a plan that I honestly have never seen any other private investigator do before, and it was quite brilliant. He started to plan how he was going to befriend Nick once he got out of jail and gain his trust and then get him to tell him what he knows about Kelly's disappearance. When Nick was released from jail, David Marshburn was on his doorstep and introduced himself almost immediately. He told him that he was a PI and that he wanted to talk to him about Kelly. But before Nick could shut the door on David, David tells him that he's convinced that Nick is innocent. And he wants Nick to help him clear his name and then the two of them could then work together in finding Kelly. Nick was completely interested and he began being friends with David. To gain more of his trust, David would go out of his way to give Nick money whenever he was in need. The two started to build this friendship and trust and whenever Nick needed something, David was there to help him. The two of them would chat often and it was about all things, not just about Kelly. But as the months began to pass and it didn't seem like Nick was going to give up any kind of information, David became impatient. So he tried a completely different tactic. David approached Nick telling him that he had worked out a deal with the prosecutors. David was so prepared to get a confession out of Nick that he had drafted up a fake plea deal to show it to Nick. In the fake plea bargain, it said that if Nick admitted to murdering Kelly and then he apologized for it, he would get mental health treatments and get to stay inside of this apartment complex style housing with all of these luxuries. So practically, it was said to be like a slap on the wrist and Nick completely bought it. He truly believed that this was from the prosecutor's office. He sat there reading and then rereading this fake plea bargain over and over. But after some time passed, he told David that he wasn't going to sign it because he knew that once he did, that the prosecutors would take the deal back off the table. And though he didn't sign it and David didn't get a solid confession at this point, he knew that he was 100% right about his gut feeling that Nick had been involved. 
and it was just a matter of time before he was going to crack. So the next plan that David came up with was to make a phony indictment. David convinces Nick that he is about to be indicted for the murder of Kelly Bordeaux with a fake indictment that he shows him. On top of this fake indictment, David also gets a bondsman to sit outside of where Nick was staying to make it look like he was being watched. When Nick spotted the guy sitting outside of his home, he got so worried about them watching him, he decided that it was finally time to go ahead and sign that plea deal before they could come and arrest him. He also agreed to lead David to where he buried Kelly's lifeless body. Nick buried Kelly in a wooded area not far from where his camp was set up outside of the Froggy Bottoms bar. Finally, standing right there where Kelly was buried, Nick also confessed to what happened on that night. On that night that Kelly and Nick went to the bar, everything was going great. Kelly was ready to finally go home, and when she was going to pay her bar tab, Nick went outside to get into his truck and wait for her. While paying her bar tab, the bartender told Kelly to be careful with Nick because he was a sex offender and told her about the little girl that he had molested and beat. Kelly had no idea about what Nick had done as a teenager, and she didn't want anything to do with him further. When she walked out of the bar instead of going to his truck, she kept walking down the sidewalk. Nick sees her pass his truck and gets out to approach her and tell her that he thought that he was going to be taking her home. And she started screaming and cussing at him, calling him a child molester before she turned around and walked off. He ran up behind her and hit her so hard that it knocked her out. He hurried and picked her up and put her in his car and drove back behind the bar to where his makeshift camp was. He then took her out of the car, laid her on the ground, and removed her clothing and began raping her. And while he was raping her, she woke up and began screaming and fighting to get him off. He got scared that people were going to hear, so he grabbed a large rock that was within reach and he began beating her in the head with it until she was dead. Nick wrapped Kelly's head up in a trash bag and then buried her. After he buried her, he went back inside the bar to hang out for the rest of the night as if nothing had happened. He also sent that text message to Kelly's boyfriend, Justin, before he threw her phone into the river. Nick Holbert was arrested and would eventually plead guilty to first-degree murder. In August of 2015, Nicholas Holbert was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In May of 2014, after Kelly was exhumed from behind the Froggy Bottoms, she was properly laid to rest at Mount Peace Cemetery in her hometown of St. Cloud, Florida. According to the Fayetteville Observer, there was roughly 300 people who attended her memorial service, including David Marshburn, who had fought so hard to help bring Kelly home. Though Nick is behind bars, Kelly's older sister Olivia told the Observer that, quote, everybody thinks it's closure, but it's not. Him going to jail for the rest of his life won't bring her back, end quote. Kelly remained missing for over two years before she was found, and if it wasn't for the relentless dedication from David Marshburn, I'm not sure if she would have ever been found. 
Crimeaholics, if you're not already a part of our private Facebook group, make sure you find us by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases we cover, and we also encourage all members to share all things true crime. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you wish to follow me personally, you can find me on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care. Bye.